If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to turn your Bible to Philippians chapter 3 and verses 4 through 14, the very same passage that we were in last Sunday morning. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 4 through 14. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are in a year-long series on what is a disciple. What is a disciple of Jesus? And we have been, for the last number of weeks, looking at one aspect of discipleship, of being a disciple, and that is the emotions of a disciple. God has created every one of us with emotions. Our emotions are powerful. God wants our emotions to be Christ-exalting, and he wants our emotions to be Holy Spirit-filled because our emotions can be used for great evil. But God wants to use them for great good, for his glory and for his honor. So as a disciple, we don't deny our emotions. We want our emotions to be under the full control of the Holy Spirit and saturated with the word of God. Let me read for you Philippians 3, 4 through 14. This is the sixth message in this series just on a disciple's emotions. And this is our last message on this particular topic. And then next week we will move on to something else related to discipleship. And this is actually this part two of a two-part message. Last week, we began looking at this passage. And I titled it, Following Hard After God. And as I shared with you last week, that is actually a phrase, a term that I took from A.W. Tozer from his book from 1948, The Pursuit of God a book that still speaks powerfully to God's people today and is still widely in print. But one of the chapters in the pursuit of God is entitled, Following Hard After God. And so this morning is Following Hard After God, Part 2. And this is what Paul writes. He is talking initially in Chapter 3 about the Judaizers and the Pharisees and their confidence in the flesh, and he calls them dogs, and he calls them evildoers, he calls them mutilators of the flesh, and this is what he writes. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Notice Paul's pedigree. Circumcised. On the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Well, our first point this morning is a brief review. I realize that there are people here this morning that, excuse me, weren't here last Sunday morning. So let me just go back and bring us up to date on where we are at in this passage. The Bible calls for every Christian to follow hard after God. Some Christians are content to try and live a good life. As I shared with you last week, here is a common scenario for many evangelical Christians. I get saved. I am born again. I come to know Christ as my Savior. And then I pretty much think what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my time on earth is just to try to live a good life. I'm supposed to come to church. I pray. I read my Bible. I try to be a good father. try to be a good husband. try to be a good employee. Folks, there's nothing wrong with that. Certainly nothing wrong with it, but what I want you to know in this series, as a disciple of Jesus, God calls us to something more than that. God calls us to something higher than that. God calls us to the pursuit of himself. God calls us to follow hard after him. To follow hard means with every bit of energy that you possessed within your being. And as I shared with you last week, we see this. We see this in the great men and women of the Bible. I won't spend the kind of time I spent on it last week. But we see this in Noah. We see this in Abraham. We see this in Joseph. We see this in Moses. We see this in Ruth. As we read through the Psalms, we are struck with this over and over again, this pursuing of God, this following hard after him. We see this in the life of Daniel, and we could name many others, but I have chosen the Apostle Paul to use as our example because Philippians 3 is such a great description of this very concept. And we looked at three reasons why we follow hard after God. Let me again briefly review them with you. We follow hard after God in order to know him. 
We want to know him. In verse 7, in the first part of verse 8, Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, indeed, I count everything. That's amazing. I count everything as loss for the sake of Christ. Or, excuse me, um, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I love that thought. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In verse 10, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Folks, that's your quest in life. You as a disciple should say, I want to know Jesus and I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to live that out in my life every day that God gives me breath. You see, Jesus is the treasure hidden in a field. Jesus is the pearl of great price. Folks, there is so much more of God, so much more of Christ that we need to pursue and to know and to grasp and to hold on to. So first of all, the reason we follow hard after God is to know him. Second, we follow hard after God for the assurance, for the assurance of our own salvation. In the second part of verse 8 and in verse 9, he says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Oh, as a disciple, I want to know one thing primarily, that I am in Christ, that I am truly saved, that I am truly redeemed, truly born again. And as a disciple, I want to know what it means to be a child of God and to live for Him. When I was born again, when I was saved, His righteousness was transferred to me because my righteousness was as filthy rags. So I want to know what it means to live out the righteousness of Christ that now belongs to me, that I am now clothed in. I want to know. I want to know what it means to pursue Him, to hunger for God's Word, to hunger and thirst to know Him through prayer. I want to be with God's people. I want to be part of the church because it's not just a church. It is His church. It is His blood-bought church, and I want to be a part of that. And folks, as I shared with you last week, if you don't have a desire to come to church, if you don't have a desire, a deep desire for prayer, if you don't have a deep desire to study the Word of God and to know God through His Word, if you don't have a deep desire to fellowship with the people of God, you really need to ask yourself if you're even saved. You need to ask yourself, why don't I desire those things tonight? 
Tonight, we're going to go back and look at the great white throne judgment where the unsaved from all generations, from all epochs of time will come together and be judged by Christ and condemned to the lake of fire. And as I'm going to share with you tonight, there will be people there, there will be people there who have said they were Christians who said they were saved but really weren't and knew it in the depths of their being. It's one of the most frightening thoughts in all of the faith. So secondly, we follow hard after God for the assurance of our own salvation. Third, we follow hard after God because we are not yet perfect. In verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The pursuit of God is the evidence of my salvation. But I know as a Christian, I'm not perfect. And I won't be perfect until heaven. We know that. The scriptures tell us that repeatedly. We are not going to be perfect until we get to heaven. However, however, some Christians say, well, yeah, I'm not perfect, so there's not much I can do about it. Other Christians say, I'm not yet perfect, but I'm going to try through Christ and by the grace of God, to get as close to perfection as I possibly can before I leave this earth. It's the thought that here is perfection, here is me, and I'm trying to get as close to perfection as I possibly can before I get to heaven. I want to be as much like Jesus as I possibly can as I uh, be before the time I come to know him. I don't just settle for mediocrity. And folks, I'm afraid sometimes we do. We just settle for mediocrity, settle for being mediocre Christians. Paul says, I know I haven't already obtained this. I know I'm not already perfect. However, however, I press on. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Oh, I want to be like Jesus. Synonymous phrases would be following hard after God is pursuing holiness and righteousness. It's what we mean when we say that. Following hard after God means wanting to be just like Christ. Wanting to be just like him as we pursue him. Well, that's what we looked at last week. This morning we're going to focus on verses 13 and 14. And our second point this morning is how we follow hard. Last week was why we follow hard. This week is how. So the why and the how. How we follow hard after God. I'm just going to give you three thoughts on how we do this. How we make this real in our, in our own lives. First, I need to develop a holy dissatisfaction with my spiritual life. I need to be content in Christ with who I am in Christ, but I should never be satisfied with my spiritual growth. I should always want 
more. I should always hunger and thirst for more. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how old you are. You should have a passion to know him more. In verse 13, Paul says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Brothers, I'm not there yet. I'm not satisfied with where I am right now. Now, for full disclosure this morning, this term, holy dissatisfaction, is a term that I learned from John Piper many years ago and one that I have adopted for my own Christian life. I want a holy, a holy dissatisfaction with my spiritual growth. I never want to be satisfied with where I'm at. I always want more, to know more of Christ, to be more like him. I need to stand in front of the mirror of the Word of God and realize that I have a long way to go in my spiritual life. No matter who you are this morning, no matter how much Bible knowledge you have or think you have, you have a long way to go in your spiritual life. But that's the wonderful thing. There is so much more. I don't care if you're here or here or here in your journey with Christ and your spiritual growth. Oh, there is so much more. It is infinite. There is so much more to know of him and to know what it means to walk with him. An honest admission that I am spiritually weak and needy is the starting point for following hard after God. I may be the senior pastor of this church, but I want you to know this morning that I am needy and I am weak and I need Christ. You know who I am? You know who I am every single day? I am a sinful man clinging, clinging to Christ every second of every day. That's who I am. And apart from him, apart from him, I am nothing. Oh, how I want to know him. I want to be dissatisfied with where I am so that I can know him even more. There is a profound difference There is a profound difference between low self-esteem and holy dissatisfaction. Low self-esteem is actually a form of selfishness. Oh, I'm just a nobody. Oh, I'm not that great. Oh, I guess I'm kind of worthless. No, that's not what I'm talking about at all. Now, folks, I'm a child of God. I'm a redeemed member of the family of God. I've been adopted into the family of God. I've been forgiven of all my sins. I just want to know what that means. I want to know it. I want to live it more and more. And I hope, even if you're in your 70s or 80s or 90s this morning, that you have a holy dissatisfaction with where you're at and you want Christ as much as you've ever wanted him in your life. John Piper writes this, could it be, could it be that there is a connection between how little earnest pursuit of God there is today in the church and how much we are told to think well of ourselves? It is a wonderful thing to have been taken possession of by Christ, but it is a thousand times more wonderful 
when we realize that he has taken possession of people who remain sinful. Oh, we are his. We are secure in him. But we are still sinful, so we strive to know him and to know what it means to be clothed in his righteousness and to be his son, to be his daughter. Let me try to sum it up this way. Holy dissatisfaction means that I am dissatisfied with how little I know of God and how little glory and honor I actually bring to him. That's what I mean this morning. Oh God, give all of us a holy dissatisfaction for where we are at in our spiritual growth. I want to know more of God. I want to bring him greater glory and greater honor. Second, second, how we follow hard after God. I need to forget what lies behind. I need to forget what lies behind. In the middle of verse 13, Paul says, but one thing I do, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Anything in your background that hinders you from following hard after God right now should be left behind. Anything in your background that hinders you from following hard after God should be left behind. Now, this doesn't mean that the past has no place in your spiritual life. I'm not saying that at all. Some of you have had great successes, great victories in Christ in your past, which are very important to you. Some of you this morning have had failures. You've been hurt by other people. And you struggle with what has happened in your past. And it hinders you in your pursuit of Christ right now. And this is what Paul is talking about. Whether it is a success or whether it is a failure, I want you to leave it behind. One author said this, Only look back for the sake of moving ahead. Only look back for the sake of moving ahead. Maybe you've heard this principle before. It comes from biblical Christian counseling, and it is this. It is one thing to learn from the past. It is another thing to live in the past. Two very different things. We want to learn from the past, but we don't want to live in the past. And this can be, and I think this is important this morning for all of us, this can be past victories or past defeats and failures. You see, past successes can leave us smug and self-reliant. Sometimes you'll talk to a Christian and it seems like every time you talk to them, they're talking about what happened in their past. You know, back years ago, I was involved in this Bible study and man, was it a great Bible study. Oh, we, it, we had a revival in that Bible study. Or I went to this particular church and the pastor there, he was a dynamic speaker and, and I grew so much under that particular pastor. And every time you talk to him, it's like, yeah, that Bible study, and yeah, that church back there. And sometimes, sometimes you want to say, that's great, but I don't want to know what you did in 1987. I don't just want to know what you did in 1994. I want to know what you're doing right now. Do you see what I'm saying? 
Don't live in the past and your past successes. What are you doing right now to follow hard after God? Praise, praise him for those past victories. But don't live in those past victories. Hunger for present victories. Hunger for present day tasting and seeing of the power of God right now. The same thing can happen with past failures. Well, they can paralyze us. We had past defeats. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you failed. Maybe you failed in your marriage. Maybe you failed at your job. Maybe you failed morally in a significant way. If you have repented of that, if you have made it right with God and right with any other person that you needed to make it right with, then let go. Then let go. If you have done what you needed to do, then let go of that and experience what it means to pursue Christ right now, this day, in your life. John Piper has a wonderful way of saying this. If you allow me to quote from him one more time this morning. This may be helpful to some of you this morning. And that's why I put it on the screen. Give humble thanks for past success. Give humble thanks for past or excuse me, give humble thanks for successes, make humble confessions for failure, then turn to the future and go hard after God. I like that. Give humble thanks for successes, make humble confessions for failure, then turn to the future and go hard after God. That's it, folks. Thank God for your successes. Praise him for his forgiveness, for your failures. Leave it in the past. Look ahead and follow hard after God. Thirdly, thirdly, I need to strain forward toward what is ahead. I need to strain forward toward what is ahead. I'm not content with my spiritual growth at this point. I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. Verse, the very end of verse 13 there, straining forward to what lies ahead. To strain forward toward what is ahead is to discipline yourself to make following hard after God your highest priority. It is to so discipline yourself as a Christian the child of God, that your highest goal, your highest priority is to pursue Christ with passion, to follow hard after God. This means being intentional, it means planning, and it means discipline. Actually, the term to strain forward, straining forward to what lies ahead is filled with all kinds of athletic connotations. To follow hard after God means to follow hard after him with all the discipline of an athlete. You're an athlete with a goal, a reward, a trophy, a goal that you have, and your reward, your goal, your trophy is Christ himself. And you strain forward with all you have in order to follow hard after God. Back the second Sunday of August, 
I did a, uh, in the second sermon on a disciple's emotions, we looked at the two pillars of the Christian life, desire and discipline. And they must go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. You must have passionate desire, a fire in your soul. But at the same time, at the very same time, there has to be structured discipline in your life, a discipline to pray, a discipline to study God's word. And hopefully, as I shared back then, your disciplined prayer life and your disciplined study of God's word will fuel your passion and fire within. They are supposed to go hand in hand. But what I want to emphasize here, if you really want to pursue Christ, you have to discipline yourself to do it. You have to structure your life for him. One of my favorite passages on this, which I shared back in August, I want to share again. It is 1 Corinthians 9, verses 25 through 27. Paul writes, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Let me do my own paraphrase here of those first two sentences. Everyone who competes in the athletic games goes into strict training. Those secular athletes do it to get a crown a crown that will not last, but we do it. We do it so that we can follow hard after God. We compete. We go into strict training so that we can follow hard after God and get the crown that truly matters, a crown from Christ in eternity. Oh, any Christian who has followed hard after God with all his being, with all his might, with all of his energy, and has known the heights of joy, who has known the heights of pleasure, pure pleasure in Christ, and who has known the wonder of obedience, that person has done it, has done it by intentionally planning and disciplining themselves. As we look at the great saints of the past, whether they are saints recorded in Scripture or saints throughout church history, one of the common factors they all have is a disciplined Christian life, but not disciplined for discipline's sake, because that makes you a Pharisee, but discipline for the sake of wanting the sweetness of Christ of wanting to really know him and fellowship with him. I'm going to order and structure my daily schedule so that I have time with him, so that more and more I am getting to know him and allowing him to have all of me. Where Paul sums it all up in verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. Interesting phrase study. 
It means to bear down with all of your human energy. To bear down on something with all of your human energy. You don't hold back at all. It's like you're running a 60 meter or 100 meter race. You don't pace yourself. You're all out. You're going as hard as you possibly can. And Paul says, I'm going as hard as I possibly can. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is the upward call of God? Well, first it reminds us it is from heaven that we have been called to do this. And heaven is our goal. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus is ultimately being with him. Being freed from the bondage and tyranny of sin in our own lives. Being free from the power of sin and being in the very presence of Christ. We want that and so we press toward it again. We're not perfect, but let's strive to be as perfect as we can in Christ. It's like the Apostle John said, when we see him, we will know him because we will see him just as he is. What a thought. When we see him, we will know him because we will see him just as he is. And we look forward to that day until then. Until that day when I am with Christ and I'm in my glorified body and glorified state. Until that day, Paul says, I press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. And notice, in Christ Jesus, this can only be done in him. Oh, folks, I long for you. I long for me to go beyond a vanilla, mediocre Christian life. Let me ask you this morning, are you just content with where you're at? Is there a zeal in your bones, a fire in your belly to know him, to follow hard after God? If not, ask God to give you that in Christ. Ask God to make that real. May God help all of us to want him more than we want anything else in this life. That's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple isn't just some plain, ordinary, mundane Christian life. It is following hard after God. Let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us not to settle for the mediocre. Help us to want to know you I pray you would convict every single one of us that we can know more of Christ than we ever dreamed or imagined. That we can draw closer to him than we ever dreamed or imagined. Oh Lord, place a fire in our souls for you. For you. Not for the fame or fortune or power of this life, but for our precious Savior who gave everything for us. Oh, let us pray with Paul this morning. I want to know him. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.